0: The scripture reading this morning is from Mark 3, 7 through 19. If you could follow along with me, either up on the screen or in your Bibles. A great crowd follows Jesus. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed, from Galilee and Judea, and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan, and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boenerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Elpheus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is God's word.
1: Father, thank you for your truth, for your scriptures that you've given to us. Um, we ask that you would help us to understand this portion of scripture, um, help us to see its, its relevance and its beauty, and uh, to uh, point us uh, and and help us uh, to more deeply fall in love uh, with the, the, the Christ of all scripture. Uh, I pray that you would Help me um, <clears throat> as you've sent me to preach and uh, uh, give me the authority to, to do that in your name. In Christ we pray. Amen. Uh, so, a couple of years ago, several years ago, I was, um, and before pastoring uh, this church, I was pastoring a, um, sorry, I was, I was working full time for a nonprofit, and nonprofits have you wear many, many hats. So, you know, you have to do a bunch of different jobs at the same company. And then I was also pastoring a church in another county about an hour away. And I was editing for a magazine. And so I had three jobs. I was tri-vocational. And there was one thing that helped me, helped sustain me, helped get me through that really stressful, very difficult time. I'm going to tell you about that later. Not right now. So uh, today, I want to focus on stress and ask the question, how do you deal with stress? How do you cope with very overwhelming, stressful circumstances uh, when life is, is hard? Today, we're going to look and learn from Jesus how he dealt with intense pressure and intense stress and, in life and ministry. And I want to consider two things. What's causing stress and two How do we respond? How should we respond to stress? So what's causing stress? We're in the Gospel of Mark again. And so where we last left off in the Gospel of Mark uh, is the religious Pharisees and the political Herodians were plotting how to kill Jesus. And so that's the context where we start today in verse 7, where it says Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. And so he withdrew from the Herodians and the Pharisees. That was the group that he was withdrawing from. And he kind of, uh, if you're a Tolkien fan, which I think the movie Tolkien came out this weekend, right? So some people are going to that. But um, out of the frying pan and into the fire is sort of what Jesus' life looks like here. Um, because as he did that, we notice he encounters another problem. Verse 7 continues, And a great crowd followed him from Galilee and Judea. Verse 8, and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. And so news about who Jesus was had spread so far, you know, who's a healer. It spread so far that everyone in the region was flocking to come to him from all around Galilee. They were, they were swarming, and the crowds got so large, he tells his disciples in verse 9, he says, Have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. I mean, that's a pretty serious problem, right? To, to have so many people wanting to come see you that you could physically be crushed. Um, anybody a mosh pitter? Anybody like doing the mosh pits? Right, so you're like at the rock concert, and you, know, you want to get up to the, to the front where the mosh pit is, and that's where you want to be because you know everybody's cramming you, people are throwing elbows, and it's just it's super tight, and uh, if, I wouldn't recommend it if, if you don't like small spaces. Um, but but so that's, so that's kind of what's going on. Uh, he, would, he would have been squished by all these bodies, and so a little boat would be slightly pushed out from the shore just a little bit, and a teacher would stand on that and teach from a little bit out on the shore on a small boat to be able to publicly teach without getting crushed by all, all the massive swarms of crowds. Right? And so that's a lot of stress when you think about it. To have a whole community flocking to see you after you just experienced rejection from religious leaders, religious elites... It's a crazy busy life, and to top it all off, verse 10 tells us people are trying to press in on him, to touch him, to be healed of their diseases, and then to make matters even worse, there's uh, this constant falling down of unclean spirits, and they're saying to him, you are the son of God. So there's just chaos when we look at this picture that scripture is giving us. And I've I've talked about this before. As a quick reminder, Jesus doesn't want everyone to know that he's the son of God yet. That's a curious thing if you're just jumping in, so I want to explain that really quick. He wants people to understand what son of God means on his own terms, not on other people's terms. So not on the terms of politics or whatever else, whether labels we're trying to throw onto him. Jesus wants to be understood on his own terms. And the crowds, they seem not to really want him. They wanted to be healed by him. Because they didn't really want Jesus. They wanted to be using Jesus as a conduit or as a product to consume to make their life better. And so Jesus um, wants to explain who he is. So just really quick. And, and one other minor point on that. I've mentioned this before too. But um, when the unclean spirits are, are saying, when they're commanding, you are the son of God. That's not like a recognition of belief in Jesus. That's, uh, that was an ancient way of trying to uh, exert control or power over somebody else. And it's interesting, Jesus' response, verse 12, he strictly orders them not to make them known. So he, he shows that he has power even over you know, demons. We've seen that theme before. So I wanted to recap kind of the story that we have this Bible reading a little bit so you can better understand just how much Confusion and chaos is going on around Jesus. Being a true human being, Jesus would have felt all the same and similar emotions that we would feel under such pressure, under such stress. He would have felt his adrenal glands getting uh, a little bit burnt out. He would have had elevated cortisol levels. He would have felt uncomfortable and had stress. In other words... Jesus knows fully well what it's like to be you. When you have extreme deadlines approaching, fast approaching, when you have so much happening in your life, when you have um, chaos in your own life, when the demands are piling up, maybe it's the boss, maybe it's your kids' Uh, keeping you up at night, or your spouse, or a friend, or family members, and that that pressure is mounting in your life, and you're at your wits' end. He understands fully well what it's like to be you, and understands your crazy, busy lifestyle. And he says to it, from this t- text, "I feel your pain. Um, I know what I know what it feels like." Uh, so, some of you uh, know recently that. I suffered from a, a bout of panic attacks. I had my first one February 2nd, where I was literally on the floor and I couldn't get up. Um, I thought I was having a heart attack. My chest was, it just felt like, a, um, I felt like I was having a heart attack and it happened more and more frequently. I had elevated stress levels. My body responded by sending me into this whirlpool of anxiety. And uh, the thing about anxiety is once you have some anxiety, it keeps happening. And it's a downward spiral. And, and, you, and so, so you start fearing having the same thing happening in different contexts. And then it does happen. Because you're afraid of it happening over and over and over again. So it's a bad cycle of, uh, of uh, elevated adrenaline, cortisol, and epinephrine. And, and, and when I was in that downward spiral, I would often think of how Jesus felt. And how he knew what it was like. To be stressed to the max. I mean, the scriptures tell us that the night before he died, he, he sweat. Uh, he uh, drops of of blood. He, he, tears of blood. Um, and so Christ is a, a sympathizer to our weakness. He knows our deepest wounds and our greatest frustrations. And, and he is ever present with us in them. Uh, he felt them ...himself and his body when he lived on this earth. And uh, do you know what else Jesus feels? Jesus also feels the burden of of wanting to be at multiple places at one time... uh, ...to be there for your friend who's suffering... ...to be there for somebody who's grieving... ...to be there for somebody who is in need. Uh, he, He felt that enormous weight upon his own shoulders... The crowds were flocking to him, and yet what we see, it's interesting, you know, he could only heal so many people, even as the Son of Man, Son of God, and at, at this time, right? Only those around Galilee who were able to travel to him and touch him could even be healed. There are still massive amounts of people who remained in a suffering state, and he felt those, that burden. He knows what it's like to care about others. He knows what it's like to stand with those who are marginalized and hurting and broken and assaulted. He knows what it's like to feel the weight of sin and the weight of stress and the weight of doubt and panic and confusion and the weight and pressure of the Christian life. He knows he feels you. And so when the Bible talks about casting your cares on the Lord because he cares for you, I think it takes on a new light, doesn't it? A whole new meaning in light of what we just heard, that Jesus is the sympathizer, that he knows what it's like, to know that when you take your, your greatest fears and your frustrations and you take them to the Lord in prayer, you take them and you pray to him and, and you're honest in your prayers, that this is a God who knows your pain, who knows your suffering, who can hear you in, in your shouts and screams and listens and knows what it's like. I want to encourage you to pray honestly. Like be real in your prayers. You know, just be real. So how did Jesus manage the stress of a chaotic life and ministry? Uh, let's look at how he deals with all the stress. So, and in, in doing so, hopefully it will help inform us how we should respond to stress. So verse 13 only tells us a little bit. It says, and he went up on the mountain. And he went up on the mountain. So, alone time. Uh, Mountaintops were secluded places where somebody could get away from the noise and the hustle and bustle of daily life. And I'm not sure where you go or if you have a place where you go at all, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to find a place that is a a place of respite. Maybe it's a few minutes. Maybe it's five minutes or or, or so. Um, One of the things, uh, I mentioned having multiple jobs and being really stressed out, One of the the things I most looked forward to every day was the five minutes after I got off my my shift and before I started working on pastoral work. um, It was just five minutes of, I was reading uh, uh, Keller's Psalms. It was super refreshing. Five minutes, you know, it was a nice refreshing time where it was like nothing else was pushing on me and pressing on me and, and nobody was asking anything of me. I was just delighting in my father. And uh, and then I replaced that with just reading psalms myself. You know, uh, it was great. Um, but find a place where you can be silent. Find that alone time because the first thing that Jesus does when dealing with stress is he he went up on the mountain. The second thing is prayer. Uh, we don't have it here, but in Luke chapter six verse twelve, a parallel passage to Mark three thirteen. There it tells us in more detail that he didn't just go up to the mountain, but he went up to the mountain to pray. And so he went up on the mountaintop and he prayed on the mountaintop. And so find a place or a space where you can be alone with God and and you can pray with him. Read his words, spend time with him and pray whatever's on your heart and mind. Let loose, give your fears, your anxieties to him. A few key Bible passages to run... Uh, Two, when you're feeling overwhelmed or worried, I want you to write these down if you're, if you're taking notes. Um, write these down. These are great go-tos when you're, when you're stressed to the max. John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In First Peter 5, 7, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. There's two more I want to give. Another one, Psalm 23, verse verse 4. Many people have prayed this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then Hebrews 13, 6. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And that's quoting from the Old Testament, too. So so go up to your mountaintop and pray. Read his scriptures and pray. And then there's a third thing that Jesus does. He finds solitude. He prays. But the third thing is he also delegates. He delegates. So he shares responsibility with those whom he calls the twelve. Verse 13, second part. And he called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. Verse 14. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so they might be with him. This is where we get uh, the the, the word apostle, uh, the the sent ones. And um, to be human is to be in want of friendship to need community, to to need others. We're made for it. As uh, Genesis 2 reminds us, it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. So Jesus needed friendship. He was truly human. Notice how verse 13, he called those whom he desired. That's who he calls. Those whom he wanted, those whom he longed for. The people in his life that he, he really valued and he appreciated their, their, their friendship. He wanted to be with these men. He loved them. He spent time with them. He enjoyed their company. He, he wept with them. And he taught them. They were his closest circle of friends. Now if Jesus, when he lived on this earth, if he needed friends, let me just say, how much more do we need friends in this life? As we're, as we're going through uh, our valleys and our hills. Not only to share our work with, but, but to share our very lives with, our joys and our burdens. Uh, if you don't have any friends, or, or you have very few friends right now, let me encourage you to find some friends. Um, one place you can go to maybe find some friends, join a community group at our church. Um, maybe invite somebody over for dinner um, that, that may share similar interests with you. Go get a cup of coffee. Um, grab another drink with, with, with somebody uh, here. Show hospitality. It's not good for you to be alone. Isolation is death, connections, life. And so who's with you? Who's in it to the end of the line with you in your life? Who's your Bucky to your cap?
0: Hmm?
1: Who's your Batman to your Robin? Right? Like, who's, who's, who, who do you go to when you're in trouble? So for Jesus, this friendship also came with some some benefits that allowed for him to delegate his mission. As the disciples got to know him, as they spent time with him, they shared life with him, they eventually would be able to share him with others. And so it's to them that he entrusts his mission. So verse 14. And he might send them out to preach, in verse 15, and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve. Now Jesus uh, chose... Out of many people, only twelve. And what's the, what's the importance of the number twelve? Well, for any Israel Israelite reading this or hearing this, they would have immediately jumped when they heard that, that that twelve, they would have thought of the twelve tribes of Israel. And then they also would have thought of maybe even the twelve sons of Jacob. T- Jacob had twelve sons, which the twelve tribes are named after. And so it would have called them back to the old Israel. That would have been kind of exciting. And, but when Jesus uses this, he's, he's not calling us to the oldness of it. He's saying, I'm bringing a new Israel. I'm bringing something new. I'm restoring what was lost and what was long promised is now coming to fulfillment. And of this list of people, what an odd bunch of people, right, to, to call as the 12 disciples. You probably notice how diverse the group is. We have Peter, who is given a new name, Peter. uh, He's identified as as, as the rock. Um, We have James and John, the, the thunderous ones, the sons of thunder. There's this guy, Matthew, who we know is Levi, the tax collector. So there's a tax collector in that bunch, which they're not really liked very much. And then there's Simon the zealot. That means he was, he was a rioter. He was a political revolutionary. And I've only, I've only named five people, but these five people in this group of, uh, of 12 is very diverse. And that, that just shows us that there's a great diversity among those whom Jesus calls, and yet they're all one in Jesus, where opposites can actually get along in Jesus. Notice, though, there's three things that stick out with these twelve. Out of the hundreds or thousands gathered, these twelve are his friends, they're his disciples, and they're given authority. So three things I want to focus on. Friendship is the first. Friendship, this is the role of being with Jesus. Being with him and him being with you. It's something that all Christians will do. Uh, So if you're a follower of Jesus, you will spend time with him. He abides in you. He is with you. And as you spend time in prayer and reading his word, God makes you more able to share him with others. And there's discipleship. As Christians, we're each called to preach Jesus to our friends, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our family members. We're we're called to give Jesus to others. Some of us will go on to be leaders in the church, to be um, guiding through sermons or Bible studies or community groups, teaching... But all of us can make Jesus known in our homes and workplaces and and marketplaces. When we're with our friends, we can share the hope that we have within us with others. We're on mission always, no matter where we are. We're always on a mission to share the hope of the gospel with others. And then there's authority. It's the last thing. The kind of authority we can exercise today is a little different from the apostles. But Jesus gives us the authority... To cast out the demons of poverty and the demons of of racism, the demons of injustice. To heal the broken and downcast wherever they are, wherever we find them. We have the opportunity to love and serve our neighbors. Bringing a cup of cold water to the thirsty. Feeding the hungry. I encourage you to talk to our deacons um, as we have this new partnership with Hope for San Diego. We're going to have so many great opportunities to serve ...our neighbors here in San Diego... ...and there's going to be a ton of opportunities. So um, begin to pray about how it is... ...that you might be able to serve. As God in Christ has served and loved you... ...go and serve. Love your neighbor... ...as yourself. And so if we listen and we learn from Jesus... ...for those who are feeling burnout and stressed... ...right, too busy... ...we need three things. We need silence. uh, We need prayer. And we need friendship... Those are the three things that can sustain us for a lifetime of life and and ministry and service of Jesus. They won't solve every problem, of course, but but they 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 build. Uh, they're, they're like cornerstones in our life um, of faith, and we can't grow apart from them. Now I want to circle us back to the mountaintop because Jesus went up to the mountain, and and. When Jesus, when in this passage we see this, this, this mountaintop experience, and then we have the, the, the identification of the 12 being called, so there's mountaintop and there's 12, with this close connection between mountain and 12, we're supposed to see something here. And what we're supposed to see is, first of all, right, this, this calling us back to think about the old Israel. Think about the old ways... Of what had happened. Where readers would be called back to Mount Sinai. Where God first gave birth to the nation of Israel. But this language doesn't really call us back to the oldness of it. So much as the newness of it. Whereas Mount Sinai. right, Mount Sinai experience was. If you do this. You'll get to live in the land. You'll get to have the provisions. And all this other stuff. right? We see Jesus give this complete reversal to this. Where it's Jesus has done this. Now go and live. New life in the sun. Jesus has come to bring the kingdom of God. And it's breaking in to the kingdom of darkness. That's why we're seeing all the unclean spirits being afraid and and being cast out. And all this healing is being done. Jesus' ministry is going to come make everything that is sad come untrue. And the very mission that the apostles were entrusted with. And the mission that we are entrusted with. To make Jesus known. To preach. To announce good news. The good news of the kingdom. And that's this. That that Jesus has done for us what we could not do. That it is finished. That he has done it. That Jesus was sent to deliver us from our sins and our trespasses. To free us from the guilt and the power and the tyranny of sin. To rescue us, to be our redeemer as we we recited in the catechism today. That in place of a life of anxiety and an uncertainty, we'd be given a life of peace and security. If only we would repent and trust in Jesus. So do you believe in Jesus? Do you trust in him? Will you rest in him and wait on the Lord? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in Jesus you always give us peace. No matter how worried we are, how anxious we are, how low we're brought, Lord, you In Christ went down to the pit. You know fully what it's like to be abandoned and rejected and stressed and anxious and worried and full of dread. And yet you went all the way down so that you could lift us up. So Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your gospel. It's good news that Jesus has done what we could not do that you free us, that you take us out of the pit, and you lift us up, and you call us sons and daughters. And we're given a family, where we have new friends, where we have fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and sons in your church. So thank you, Father. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray.